If you're thinking to yourself, that's a long gospel. It is. It is the longest sustained dialogue between Jesus and any one character in the entire New Testament. And it's very long, but there's a lot you can learn from it. And if you look, I don't know if you missed it. Hopefully you didn't miss it. But the connection today is very clear between the first reading and the gospel, right? The Israelites are out in the desert. They're dying of thirst. And then you have the New Testament, right, gospel where Jesus is thirsty. So if you missed it, the overarching theme is thirst, right? We're all thirsty. You're thirsty. I'm thirsty. And I'm not talking, you know, mid-Lent, not for a scotch or a beer. I'm talking that we are thirsty for more. More joy, more happiness, more purpose, more meaning. Father Thomas Dubay, a famous Catholic author, once wrote, Human beings are a thirst in the flesh. We're a thirst in the flesh because what he meant is we're strange creatures because we have all of these appetites, right? And they can all be satisfied, but we're not. So if you have the appetite to eat, you can eat and be satisfied. You have the appetite to drink, you can drink and be satisfied. You have the appetite to go somewhere, you can go there and be satisfied. But we are never satisfied. We as a person. Why? Now I'm biased, so I'm going to give you the Christian answer to this because I'm a Catholic priest. It's because we were made for something more than this life. And we know it. That's why nothing in this life satisfies us. Because we weren't ultimately meant for this life. Every single human being has a desire inside their heart for eternal love, eternal joy, eternal happiness. So either every human being on the planet is wrong and believes a lie, or we're made for something more than this life. And if we're made for something more than this life, then the only thing that will satisfy us in this life is the more, which is behind me. Jesus himself is the more. Anything else leaves us wanting. There's evidence for this. I did a, little, I did a very unscientific study, so don't quote me empirically on this, but this is like my scientific study. One of the great joys, if I make it to heaven, is going to be nothing ever runs out. And everything's done. I'm going to give you a few examples of this. I don't know if you guys can kind of feel where I'm coming from. But laundry. It never ends. It doesn't matter how much you do. It's like, you know, you get done. You're like, I'm done. And you turn around, there's a basket. And I don't even have a family. I can't imagine what it would be with like three, four kids. Okay, Paper towels. They always run out, and they run out when you need them most. Same with toilet paper, oddly enough. Always needs to be changed. Dishes always need to be done. The house always needs to be clean. For you workers, paperwork never ends. You're always submitting it over and over. Snow (laughs) never ends. The first blizzard was fun. Now you want to kill somebody. (laughs) Because it just never ends. Every time you think you have something completed, eventually you got to do it again. I mean, even think the last thing about is just think of your body. Your body constantly needs to be sustained. And then as you get older, it just breaks down. 
So this image, right? This image that Jesus uses of everlasting water from this mysterious well that constantly will give is an incredible image. And the woman is like, yes, give me that water all the time so I don't have to keep coming back here. So what does Jesus do for this woman? Who, by the way, if you missed this, she's basically all of us. We all got our issues. We're all hiding, which is what she's doing. That's why she's out there at noon, not in the morning. Jesus begins to dig a well. And he digs it deep. If she wants the water to well up, then she has to remove the cap that's keeping it down. And Jesus knows what everybody's cap is that's blocking that well. And then he goes right to the heart of it. And he says, go call your husband. What does the woman do? She deflects. I don't have one. Jesus returns. You're right. You've had five. And the one you're living with is not your husband. What does the woman do? I can see you're a prophet. You know, you guys in your religion, you tell us we can't worship on... She's totally... Dismissing the question. She does not want to talk about it. Changes the topic. We do this all the time. Jesus goes to the heart of something because he really wants us to make a decision and we just talk about it. I heard this uh, talk a while back and it was this great line about this, this story. It said, the woman at the well wants religion to be a matter of discussion But Jesus wants religion to be a matter of decision. We discuss things all the time, but to actually make decisions is what the faith is about. She just deflects and deflects and deflects because she doesn't want to change her life. Why? Because it's a great life? No, because she feels comfortable and safe. The man she's living with, who is not her husband, is obviously, we know from the culture, providing for her and protecting her. So what's Jesus saying? You need to get rid of all of that. Step out on a ledge and trust me. And I will provide for you. Because the water that you want, what you're thirsting for, it's not another man. It's me. And will you let me in? And this is a question he basically asks to every person here. Will you take a risk? Will you step out and let me provide for you? You know... I always have stories and I tell them like they were out here, out there, back then, or this saint. Or This one is a local story. So I taught at St. Mary's, as many of you know, for six years. Every time I taught, I would, we would get to the section on morality. And as I was teaching on morality, it would almost happen every year. One of the kids would learn something about the Catholic faith, go home and tell their parents about it. Their parents weren't living it, so the parents would get mad at me because I taught them the faith, which is what they were paying for. It didn't make any sense to me ever. But one year, I had this young girl who was a junior, and we were talking about contraception, and I was talking about, I'm like, you can't use contraception according to the Catholic faith. You can't even prescribe it if you were a doctor. So she goes home to her mom, who's a doctor, and says, Mom... You know a lot of people in this town. You're kind of a famous doctor around the Bismarck-Mandan area. Do you prescribe contraception? Imagine hearing that from your daughter. So, mom got frustrated. Not angry, frustrated. And immediately called me. 
and said, what are you teaching my daughter? And I'm like, the truth. And, she's, and so we, we started the dialogue. She's like, all right, well, then you have to explain this to me because I'm a good practicing Catholic. But I'm a doctor and I prescribe contraception. I said, let's meet. We met. Dialogue. Just like this sustained. And it was a long, sustained dialogue. Back and forth. Back and forth. I taught her the truths of the church. I taught her the teachings of the theology of the body by John Paul II. And as she got closer and closer and closer to Jesus, she became more and more afraid. Which is exactly what happens to the woman today. Why? Because the woman knew, just as this doctor knew, that if she was really going to follow him, If she was really going to follow his will, she had to make a decision that would cost her. The beauty of the story is she did make that decision. And it did cost her. She lost a lot of her status as being one of the main doctors in the Bismarck-Mandan area. She was mocked because of it, made fun of. And she lost a lot of patients, which cost her financially. I called her this last week and I said, I want to use this story. I want to make sure you're okay if I use this story. She said, yeah, that's fine. But she said something to me as we were talking. She said this, you know, I was really scared to make the change because of what it would cost me in this life. But what one doesn't realize is the grace that God is willing to give to those who really do make the decision. She went on to say, You have to first believe he's real. And if he's real, then you have to want to follow his will. And to follow his will will cost you. But once you do it, you have no idea what waits for you. You know, I've shared this quote with you, but it's one of my favorite quotes of all time, I think, from any saint, St. Therese of Lisieux, when she said, When God holds out his hand asking for something, his hand is never empty. You know, I think a lot of people have this idea. I did. That like when we, when we go all in for Jesus, he's just going to rip everything away from our life and give us nothing and tell us to be sad and disappointed and not have a good time and life is terrible. And be a Christian. Not at all what it's like. What God is saying is, He's holding out his hand. He's asking, I need this thing because it's blocking the well. And if you give it to me, something will well up inside of you. A new life. And things will begin to make sense. They won't get any easier. But there will be the more. More meaning. More joy. More purpose. More love. All of this woman's life makes sense. Her heartbreak from the five husbands. Everything is now revealed. And we know she made the decision. There's one little clue that tells us she made the decision to change her life. Does anybody know what it is? It's just one little clue in that story. What's that? She left her jar and went into town. What does that mean? I'm not coming back here again. I don't need this jar anymore. You guys, don't let your pain or your sin or your weakness or your brokenness get in between you and God and block that well because God is not interested in that. He's interested in you, not your sin. He wants you. And if you seek Him, 
And if you are eager to meet the one who thirsts for you, then you will never thirst again. Don't be afraid. You have no idea what waits for you. Because we have a good 